Welcome to the Proclaim Podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Today is a very special day because we have a very special guest. Do you agree with that, Heather? I do. Yes, we have Mr. Peter Herbeck, who is a longtime friend of many, who is the vice president with Renewal Ministries, very good, close collaborator with Dr. Ralph Martin. And uh, Peter, thank you for being here and welcome to our podcast. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It is. It's great that you're here. We really appreciate the time that you're giving to us. Hey, why don't we start off, Peter? You know, we'd like to have all of our guests share their story because the Proclaim movement is really about helping people encounter Jesus in a personal way. So why don't you share how you first encountered Jesus? Okay. Um, but there were two really key turning points in my life. And I would say the first time that I, I heard the message of Jesus, the kerygma in a way that I paid attention to it and, and it, it had penetrated my heart was um, probably 19, it was in 1977. I think my sister I was one of the second youngest of seven kids in our family. And I was about a junior in high school at the time. And most of my siblings were out of the house. Some were married and the rest had a good family, but we had to struggle in the family. My dad, who was a good man, you know, was a, been a, been a tank commander in battle of, uh, you know, second world war, Patton's third army, all that. And he came home, he had PTSD. And so in those days, nobody knew what that was and they didn't talk about it. And so the way dad dealt with it is he drank, you know, periodically. Mm. And so most of my life, it was part of my life. And he was the kind of guy who was like a functional, we'd say bluntly a functional drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a really good man in many ways, but he uh, uh, he couldn't beat it. And he'd gone to treatment a few times and it didn't work. And uh, But to make a very long story short, something began to change. My sister lived, uh, lived in northern Minnesota, part of a little Catholic parish. She called home on a Wednesday and said, hey, I'm coming home this weekend. I got to tell you guys something important. So she brought her family down. And on a Saturday night, we're sitting around the kitchen table mm. and she said, hey, look, I belong to this, this Bible study, a prayer group thing in my parish. And that was the first time, literally the first time in my family, we were having a conversation together, siblings present about God and about Jesus spontaneously. Mm. That never happened before. Mm. And then she said, you know, we, we read the Bible and we pray. And for the last six months, we've been praying at the end for people's needs. And we've been praying for dad the last three in particular. And she said, I got to tell you guys something. Last week we prayed and at the end I was getting ready to leave. And one of the men came, a local farmer and said, Hey, Kathy, this sounds kind of strange, but as we were praying for your dad, I felt the Holy spirit tell me to come and tell you that he's heard your prayers and he wants to bring healing to your father, but he wants you and your family, your family members to come back to him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then she's, she, uh, going to the car and another guy grabbed, you know, stopped her and said the same thing. And so this was totally new to us. Like a living woman like this was totally new. And she goes, you guys, I'm telling you, the Lord is speaking to us. And my dad was out drinking that night. He was there and there's spiritual warfare in our family. And dad's dad's dad was an alcoholic. And she said that the key for us is, is for everybody to just, hold on to Jesus and have Jesus be the Lord of your life. And she's like real earnest and passionate. And I'm sitting there processing, you know, like, wait a minute, a farmer, a couple of farmers <laughs> in northern Minnesota heard God, you know, yeah. he's yeah. talking to us. And there was nothing more I wanted than to have um, my dad be healed, you know. Yeah. And so in that night I went to bed, she goes, you know, you need to make a decision. 
and how bad do we want this? And, and the only way through this is with God's help, you know? And so I, in the moment, I didn't say anything, but that night I was laying in bed and I couldn't sleep. And I, I got out of bed for the first time since elementary school and knelt down and said, I said, you know, Lord, if this is real. God, if this is real, you know, please heal that out. I'll do anything, you know, mm. to kind of follow him. And I just had a moment of encounter right then that mm. was simple and the Lord was present. And then two weeks later, my dad came home on a Monday night, he had been drinking and I'm sitting there doing homework, waiting up for him. Part of my job was to see, he got the bed, uh, you know, everybody else was in bed. And so um, he came and sat down next to me and I just wouldn't, didn't want to pick up my head and look at him because we'd get into an argument. He and I used to get into some arguments in those days mm. and, um, and he's dead quiet, but I could hear him breathing. I could smell the booze on him, you know? And, and he said to me at a certain point, he said, Hey, Peter, and I didn't look up. And then he reached out and he grabbed my arm and dad was a athletic, big athletic guy. And he, he's my, he's shaking and he's squeezing my arm. And he said, son, look at me. And I looked up at him and, and he had a, he started crying. A tear came down his cheek. I never saw my dad shed a tear ever in my life until that oh. moment. And he said, son, I'm a sick man. Will you please help me? And he had wow. never met it. He'd gone to treatment twice and said he had never had a problem the whole time, you know? And, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, <laughs> it's funny. You know, I look back, I almost had like an out of the body experience. I'm looking at myself and what comes out of my mouth is dad, God's going to help us. God's mm. going to help us. I'm like, how do you know? You know, <laughs> but, yeah. but like the faith that this, you know, the faith that these farmers kind of a word, an anointed word that came to my sister uh, really brought conviction to her. And then she spoke with, in a way that no one ever spoke in my house before, in a way, and that kind of was a current of grace sort of thing that went into my own heart and faith was beginning to build. And he got up and called our family physician. It must've been like quarter to 12 at night. And his name was Doc Ringhofer and said, Doc, I'm a sick SOB, he said, and I, I need help. And the next morning he went into treatment, long story, but he was in it for four weeks. We went once a week, he got up at the end of it and said, my name's Joe Herbeck, I'm an alcoholic. I can't live without Jesus Christ at the center of my life. It was a Catholic AA thing. Wow. It was 1977. And dad was sober till 1997. And all seven kids came back to the faith mm. and the grandkids. I mean, the whole family got transformed and it was, uh, and so I just knew the Lord was real. So that was, that was number one. So that's when the hunger began. It was actually going through treatment was a cool thing because, because it's, I, I learned how to talk about stuff. I didn't know how to talk about and learn how to get real and learn how to be, you know, a real human being and identify painful emotions and know how to talk about them and healing and forgiveness and all that stuff. That's that mm. while wow, the kingdom of God's great, it helps. He's alive and it's powerful and he's healing me in the process, you know? And then I got, the second thing was I was in uh, kind of a long story I won't go into, but I ended up at a conference in 78. But anyway, at this event, I go to communion. I come back on Sunday morning at the end of at the, the, the closing mass and I'm praying the whole time earnestly, you know, Lord, I just want, I remember saying specifically, I want faith like you gave that guy, Ralph Martin, you know, I mean, mm. cause I don't have that. Uh, you know, I'm one step forward, two steps back. I'm cowardly. I'm lazy. I'm all these things, but I'm also, you know, earnest and want to change, you know, but I can't do it on my own. So I'm just standing there and this guy taps me on the shoulder, looks at my name tag and middle-aged guy from Indiana. And he said, you know, Son, can I, can I share something with you? And I said, sure. He said, you know, I'm supposed to, I, I was standing back here as you're going to communion. And I felt the Holy Spirit touch my heart to come and tell you uh, that the faith and love that you're seeking today will be granted to you because Christ loves you and he's died for you. And as soon as he said that to me, it was like, boom. I was like, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, it just 
just a tremendous experience of the presence of God and hung on to this guy and I wept on his shoulder and hmm. and, and I felt the Holy Spirit. I, I saw like a little tiny glimpse of the glory of Jesus in some way, like just his yeah. Lordship. It's like, wow, he's the Lord. Hmm. He's the Lord. And he's it's both simultaneously like overwhelming and almost holy fear in a great way, but also so freeing and so joyful. It's it's got all that happening at one time, and it, that completely changed my life. I mean, I'd say the, the, my sister helped me give my life to Jesus in some way, helped me understand what it meant to like to talk about Jesus as, the, as your Lord and all that kind of stuff. That never happened until that point, hmm. and then and then really getting baptized in the Spirit at Notre Dame. That's what happened, and that just launched me, yeah. and and uh, it kind of shaped my whole life for the rest of my life. Really, yeah. wow. Uh, my Thank awareness you. of Jesus and who he is. So yeah, that wasn't too long. No, not at all. Thanks for sharing. It's just so neat, Peter, because I mean, a lot of people will certainly know you, you know, conference speaker, you're an author, you do your own podcast, Word on Fire and all that kind of thing. But just to hear the real story of how you, how it all started. And it just yeah. confirms what Benedict says, that Christianity begins with a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's not like some theological treatise that needs, you know, expounding. It's right. just, it's true, Right. And here I'm telling you, and I think I, I, I never forget this. Uh, it began with, you know, two simple farmers. Yeah. Okay. Ordinary men, hardworking men, the kind of men Jesus liked to hang around with, you know, had very little, no, probably no theological training, unsophisticated on that level, but probably solid as a rock, you know, just as men, as human beings. And uh, they had to make a decision. That guy had to make a decision to say, is this really God or am I making this up or what is this? I mean, for all I know, it's the first time it ever happened in the guy's life, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, and then the guy from Indiana, um, another guy, just a blue collar, good blue collar guy, good soul. And ironically, I came back the next year in 1979 to Notre Dame and things were starting on a Friday night and I was late. I'm running through the parking lot and I crisscrossed this guy uh, everybody else was kind of in the stadium. And this guy was walking this way, and it was the guy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Oh, that's Maybe crazy. That's you, with you, you know, kind of thing. And I said, "Oh man, this changed my life, man." Yeah, you know, that's so, awesome. And God works, so it's it's faith. It's it's hearts turned to Him. It's got nothing to do with you know how many degrees you have or how smart you are, your IQ, this or that, or all the experience you had. It's are you connected to the Lord? I mean, are you in love with Him and are you alive in the Spirit and Everything's possible then. Everything's possible. Amen. And even that intersection you talked about, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit because here we are, so many years removed from your having an encounter. Peter was kind of instrumental as the Holy Spirit used him. And here we are years later talking on a podcast. So what's the short story there? Yeah, well, I mean, it really is a story of like, as Peter just described his encounter, somebody proclaimed it to him, you know, and who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter was able to do the same thing for me. I was just sitting at a at a youth conference in Yakima, Washington, of all yeah. places. And I was just this awkward nobody in a sea of, you know, 500 teenagers sitting in a room. And yeah. Peter was the speaker that weekend. And he just shared on Saturday night and they started some music, went into some ministry time. And I was just sitting there, you know, uh, unbeknownst to anybody, completely broken and hurting mm. and filled with fear and all of this stuff that was all a big secret, you know, from everybody around. And yeah. But uh, the, the biggest thing that I took from this moment is that God saw me mm. and prompted Peter 
you know, the Holy Spirit prompted him. He walked off the stage and came up to me in the middle of this crowd and just said, you know, the whole time I was talking, I just, I just felt very powerfully that the Lord has great things for you. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> like me? Like, oh I'm just like yeah. the most awkward teenager ever. And he just said, can yeah. I pray with you? And, oh, wow. and there was a moment where, you know, he invited me, will you be open to, mm-hmm. to welcoming Jesus as your Lord? And that radically changed the course of my life. But the mm-hmm. only way that he could do that is because, you know, obviously, Peter, you just shared, like, you received this at some point yourself. And as you were sharing your story, I was thinking, this sounds like things out of the Bible, you know, that's happening now. And I think that's, that's mm-hmm. a something that is hard for people to to make that bridge from what they read in the scriptures that this didn't just happen 2000 years ago that god is alive and well and he is still working miracles and his spirit is still alive and well um so i guess that's where my question is going for you peter like how do you how do you see that people can experience the god that they read about in the bible the the power of the spirit that they've read about uh here Hmm. in 2019 like what's the bridge between the yeah. hearing and reading and the experience of that. Yeah, I think I think hungering, thirsting, seeking. You know what I mean? That and I know just from my own experience when things began to come alive, uh, and I saw something in my sister that I desired, it, it was possible, it was real, something different. And I knew she was, you know, she was sensible, she wasn't whacked, you know, she was mm-hmm. a but there was something living in her and it, it could almost touch it. And I, so I began to seek it. And it didn't happen right away. You know what I mean? It wasn't like uh, all kinds of things happened right away. But I began to pray every day. I began to seek and ask and knock, you know, and then I met some other people, you know, and had fellowship with other people and they're doing the same thing. So it helps you helps you stay after it. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, um, you know, there's all these years of doing this. There's just hundreds and hundreds of stories of people yeah. who um, it, it's a matter of kind of like, what do you want? You know, like, do you want him? you want the full scale king of the you know, Lord Jesus and what he wants to give us? Or do you want to just keep him safely tucked away in a way that you can manage your religious relationship with him? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's it, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be boring and not very powerful and not very dynamic. And it's going to be mostly a work of the flesh as opposed to just saying, Lord, I, I want you, God, mm-hmm. I just want God, you know, mm-hmm. help me. And it, you, anybody who prays that from their heart, you just keep praying that. It may not happen in the moment. Give your life to him. You just keep praying that he will make a way and you will encounter the people you're supposed to encounter and the time and the place, and he's going to bring you alive in the spirit. You can take that to the bank. Because God, his father, our father, loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You know? So, I mean, so, yeah. It reminds but me we, of Father Bob Bedard, who, you know, beloved Father Bob, God rest his soul, founder yeah. of the Companions. He, he was fond of challenging his students when he was in the classroom. He's like, look, if you don't, if you don't know, just pray, God, if you're real, show me. Yeah. And that's a prayer that God loves to answer. He will answer it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, depending upon who you are, he knows us perfectly. He may want, depending who they are, want you to ask it a lot, you know, for a period of time and, and, but he'll do it. He'll do it on his own time. And he, he wants, he wants to know, I think like, he wants us to experience the hunger and our, our own desperate need for him and our desire because he wants he wants us to know his love and to live in his love. And love's about a passion from the heart. It's from the core of our being. He wants to move us in there. And um, he helps us see, if we can see our need, um, hmm. the more we can see our need for him, the more we appreciate it when he comes to us. And 
mm-hmm. you know, mm. changes our hearts, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. It sounds so simple, doesn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. the, what you're describing, it's like, well, she shared it with me and then I shared it with this person. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't seem that simple. You know, most of the time, I think as Catholics, we tend to complicate evangelization. Mm-hmm. Like, why yeah. do you think that is? Well, I think um, it's interesting. You know, one of the great, sometimes our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses. And I think the Catholic Church has great strength in her theology and her, her history. And I mean, it's, it's astounding, really, you know, her philosophy and the rest of it. And, uh, and so the impression can be that encountering Jesus is a matter of acquiring knowledge. And I think we lean into our strength. It's mm-hmm. easier for a guy who's got a doctorate to be convinced that what people need is more information if he himself has never experienced the personal touch and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that awakened him. And it was something he could really point to as an encounter and having encountered the Lord. It's very difficult to transmit that to people or to even think about it as a possibility if it hasn't been a reality in our own lives. We can't, you've heard it a thousand times, you've probably said it, you can't give away what you don't have, you know, what what you haven't experienced. And I think um, for a lot of people in the church, it's 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 a head game. It's a not. It's an information game. It's an information exchange, rather than an exchange of life and power, transformation. You know. So, I'm not blaming anybody for it. I'm not saying there's not faith present there, but I'm saying the the uh, the kind of work of the spirit that we've been talking about flows from someone who's experienced it, encountered it, and knows it's real because it gives you the confidence level then and the security be able to say, hey, I know God wants this for other people too, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's part of the reason I think we stick on what we're, you know, what we feel safe about. Uh, you know, the church just focuses a lot on degrees and getting degrees and getting credentialed and all that stuff. And she has to do that to make sure people know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But you can actually go through a whole process like that and have very little actual encounter with the living risen Christ in a way that it's changing you, you're living with him, it's changing your worship, your your life, and you're free to give it away to other people, you know? Yeah. So I think that's that's one of the reasons that we complicate things. Yeah. Some of the things you said remind me, I actually have a priest friend who basically his testimony is that he became a Christian, or in his language, he became a disciple about five years after he was ordained. Yeah. Which when people hear that, it almost sounds shocking, but it's kind of speaks to some of those assumptions that you're making that the theological training or catechetical or whatever kind of equips you, but really it doesn't, you know, yeah. it could just be intellectual formation. That's it. Empty yeah. of anything of the power of the spirit, that personal encounter that is so necessary yeah. for evangelization. Now, Peter, as you know, I mean, we've got this proclaim movement that is launching and, and we're really inviting disciples to become missionary and to take the risk and to see sort of with a prophetic lens some of the relationships that they have and maybe become a little bit more intentional in sharing the faith, inviting people into Alpha or Discovery, CCO study and those kinds of things. And I mean, some of the, some of the people, when they consider getting more engaged with evangelization, they feel unqualified because they don't have the masters. And here you've, you know, theologically trained, you've got your MA, you've got, you don't have a PhD, right? Just no. MA, yeah, MA, but author, conference speaker, all those kinds of things. What would you say to the person who's feeling the call, but they just really are struggling with feeling unqualified? Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes I think uh, the most effective time 
in my life of actually evangelizing people individually and stuff is when I was younger and I didn't have all kinds of responsibilities and I was just alive in the Lord and, and I spoke to people who were in my life, you know, and, and, and because it was just living in, in me, I didn't have all the degrees yet. I didn't have all the training yet, but I had the experience of God and I had a conviction that he was real and that he loved me. And this is a really good thing for my friends, you know, a really good thing for people I know. And so it's, it's really that simple. And the realization, I know he's in me yeah. and I know how, how people brought him to me and I can do it with other people, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, just, I hadn't thought about it that way in a long time, but I think that's, that's true. You know, when you get into the professional business of doing this and your life is totally full, you spend your time mostly like working with leaders and other Christian le- Catholic leaders and stuff. You don't have as much time out there meeting other people who need the Lord in the same way. So you always have to, you always have to kind of man up to it. You have to kind of say, wait a minute, oh, slow down. You know, you've got to get back out there and, and to yeah. love your neighbors across the street and meet them and try to reach them and that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think, I think the reason people are, there's a variety of reasons that people are afraid is one is they feel they're afraid they don't know enough. Number one, mm-hmm. number two, they're afraid that uh, they'll say something that person won't like, or the person will ask them questions. They won't know how to answer mm-hmm. for guys in particular. I think guys sometimes feel like I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into a conversation with somebody if I don't have a pretty good idea where it's going to go and how it's going to work, I don't want to look stupid. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, and so there's a lot of unknowns and there's a fear factor. And what if they reject me or what if they think I'm stupid? So that's all human. That's so good. It's such, you know, human nature. Uh, but I think our listeners should, so that happens for everybody. I don't care if you have a PhD this big, you know what I mean? All your, your degrees that stack this high or whatever, when it, when it comes to opening your heart and inviting someone to open their heart, or to share and be vulnerable, it's a little bit scary for everybody. But it, it's really uh, amazing when you do it. If you do it in love with a loving heart, uh, it's it's rarely going to be the problem that people think it's going to turn out to be. Yeah, And it's a matter of just saying, it's just introducing somebody, telling people about what Jesus means to you, or how he touched your life, or why do you love him, or why do you even care about him? Mm. You know, stuff like that. I mean, it's Keep it trying. People should just try to keep it as simple as they can, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny. You talked about how maybe the most fruitful season of your own evangelizing experience was early on. And I can very much relate to that. And I remember those days. Part of it is that, you know, every, when you have that encounter with Jesus, you see him so clearly in everything, you know, you get a parking spot and you're praising the Lord and the person sitting beside you, it's like, you just got a parking spot. No, that's Jesus' presence in my life. You know, just yeah. so clear to it. But I've actually heard uh, it was a priest say, you know, once somebody experiences Jesus in a personal way, has an encounter, I feel the best thing we can do is almost like lock them up for three years because they might, you know, their enthusiasm might do something detrimental. And I just, I, I do what you did. I'm, I'm just shaking my head because, yeah, of course they're going to say some things. Who doesn't? Yeah. You know, but just that, that spirit of dampening that enthusiasm, but that's yeah. what makes it real. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a, it's like a young lover. Yeah. You know, sometimes when I, I go to Africa and the church, I love going to Africa because the church in Africa is like a young lover. They just yeah. can't get enough of Jesus. And I mean, everything it's, you know, all these simple little broken down, you know, stores and villages, it's, you know, the, Jesus is Lord hairdresser and, you know, all these, <laughs> have these little signs and, 
and, and they're just so eager to hear yeah. about Jesus and they love it, you know, and it's, it's just, it's so young and fresh. So you get on an airplane and you fly from Africa to, to Europe. It's like going from a young lover to a widow mm. Search mm. in Europe. You know, it's like a, it's a museum. It's like they have some kind of distant memory of a better time and he's not with us now in the same way. It's amazing how different it is, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think when we get touched by the Holy spirit, when, when, all the language of the recent popes, you know, you guys have talked about it many times of the grace of a new Pentecost in the life of the church and to pray for it, pray for it earnestly. That that's what makes us new. And I remember even the words of Paul, the six, he said, we need this grace and living presence of the Holy spirit. Mm. Each one of us on our baptism to be awakened in his fullness, because this is what makes us forever young. Mm. It makes us fresh. It keeps the love. It keeps the love alive. It doesn't just become duty, responsibility, religious practice, all that kind of stuff, which we have to lean on that sometimes, but it's a living relationship that never stops giving if we keep leaning into it. You know? yeah. mm-hmm. Amen. Peter, I want to take the conversation somewhere a little bit different right now, because I mean, with all of your experience in terms of the years, but also your geography, traveling around the world, you know, the globe and all this, I mean, I think it was 1983 to the bishops gathered in Haiti. Pope John Paul mentions the new evangelization. I think that was the first time and that kind of, you know, boom. Yeah. But that's that's a long time ago now. Yeah, it know, is. Right? So where where is the pockets of hope in the church globally from your experience? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what is it that we, in our own enthusiasm in launching Proclaim, might be able to learn from others who are really seeing, you know, the gospel proclaimed and people responding? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, clearly, if you look at globally, uh, the global South is a place where uh, Mm. that freshness is present, like talking about, I mean, it's, and it's actually happening in places in the Catholic church, but it's also happening in like the Pentecostal church. I mean, it's having, you know, evangelical churches and others are also having an impact and a freshness there. Now, I think, uh, one of the things that, you know, the, the character of the new evangelization that's a little bit different, there's some kind of uh, basic initial evangelization that's happening in the global south. I was thinking about today about what C.S. Lewis said, that um, the difference between uh, the ancients and the gospel first going toward the pagan world and the present modern world, the first is like, you know, someone trying to woo a maiden for the first time. Hmm. And in our situation, because we're post-Christian, and there's been a rejection of the gospel in the culture that we're in. The culture now is reeling away from it. He said it's like trying to convince um, a, a divorcee to get remarried again or to come back at it again. Mm. You know, so it's just a different. It's a more difficult situation to have to deal with. And I would say we are without question learning. The new evangelization did refocus uh, quite a few people in the church. I mean, mm. the language is present throughout the church. Yeah. I don't think, and I think the, uh, it's not like, even though the language is there that everybody's geared in, because that's, that's not the case. But even in, in the United States, or even Canada, thinking about Father James and what he's doing through uh, you know, divine renovation, things like that, there are parishes in, like in our diocese, uh, the Archdiocese of Detroit, where uh, through the help of things like the Amazing Parish, Mm-hmm. Uh, ministry, uh, some through divine renovation, are really growing in the sense of they're, they're, the new evangelization piece 
not necessarily the, the evangelization of reaching unbelievers, but the new evangelization piece is, is trying to reach the baptized, you know, who Christianized mm-hmm. that have some, some dimension of faith, but they're not really engaged in practicing it. So I'd say there are parishes that are, that are learning how to create inviting environments and bringing those people back. And it's, and it's focused on the right things, which is helping people encounter Jesus, whether it's through Alpha or Christ's life or life of the spirit or whatever. Mm-hmm. There are some pockets everywhere I go in the country where that's happening. But there's also a lot of places where it's not. Yeah. And I think the church is still declining. In the United States, for example, across the North in particular, there's a very steady decline, something you guys in Canada went through mm-hmm. long before we did, and yeah. some of it's there. But um, uh, I'm not sure if that answers your question or not. I, I, uh, I'm even in our own parish, Christ the King in Ann Arbor, St. Thomas Parish in Ann Arbor. But I, our parishes are doing better now, and just as an example, in this college town that we're living in, which is an intensely secular town, intensely secular town, our, some of the parishes here are thriving in a way I've never seen them thrive before. And the priests are kind of on the same page in town. Yeah. And they're all kind of internalizing language. They're open to the Holy Spirit in a way of helping people come and encounter the Holy Spirit. It's part of their language now in a way I don't remember 25 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago. It's slow change, but it's 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 real change, I yeah. think, that's happening. So, um, But it's you know, there's a lot of places it's not happening yet, too. Yeah, for sure. So, one of the things I want to pick up on, it was, it was interesting because years ago I, I did a short stint in parish-based youth ministry. <laughs> and when I left, they gave me this plaque as appreciation. And in it, they wrote, uh, you have been a witness and evangelized our young people. And the word evangelized was in quotations as though it was some you know mysterious concept or yeah. something. And yeah. one like one of the things you talked about is that the language of the new evangelization has certainly taken root. I mean, I can't remember the last time or when we really started getting comfortable, everybody talking about evangelization, even conversion and these kind of terms. And yet sometimes, and this is not spiritual elitism or setting myself up as someone who knows, but it's like you're in discussions with people and you know you're using the same language, but you don't understand it the same way. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, share with a friend, or leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think.